Hi, it's Tim Hagen from Progress Coaching, and welcome to another episode for the Coaching Conversations podcast. Now, we are on Stitcher, we are on iTunes, and multiple different channels. Please check us out. Now, one of the things that you'll get out of our podcast episodes is a lot of content, a lot of strategy. It's not fluff, it's not concept. Yet we really want you to engage with the content and let us know your feedback. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. If there's topics you'd love to have us address, we would love to share them with you. Let us know your impact and let us know your feedback. You know, I think about a lot of the areas of where coaching is applied. And one of the areas that really has gained a lot of traction through the years has certainly been sales coaching. Now, so much of what we do at Progress Coaching is certainly sales-driven and certainly non-sales-driven. You know, workplace coaches, coaching team development, coaching people to handle conflict, show a sense of urgency, uh, be more effective in their communication. Yet, I think there's something with sales coaching that has some merit and has some opportunity, yet it's one of those areas where everybody's willing to, quite frankly, invest because there's a very tangible ROI or return on investment. So often when we think about sales coaching, I will hear people say comments such as, it's all about the results and the numbers. And actually it's not. And I want to share with you, before I go into the five suggested components of a sales coaching system, is a story. And I was working with an organization on the East Coast and the VP of sales in the room was literally saying, it's all about the numbers. And I wasn't really saying anything, and it's a client of ours, and I was asked to sit in on the meeting, and um, the CEO looked at me and said, boy, Tim, you're, you're pretty quiet. You know, what's going through your mind? And I said, well, in all due respect, I said, you asked me. I didn't offer this, but I want to be very candid, yet I also want to go on the record as saying, I'm responding to your question. I'm not trying to beat up your ideas. And he said, no, go ahead. I said, it's not all about the numbers. It's not about demanding higher numbers. I say, quite frankly, it makes no sense at all. Now, at this point, the VP of sales is certainly not thinking about my early Christmas present. And he looked at me and he goes, what is it about? I said, it's about the people who produce the numbers. If you just demanded higher numbers, then why would you need to coach? It's been proven every single year in various sales effectiveness studies, roughly 50% of salespeople hit their quota and 50% don't. So around there, anywhere from about 48 to about 52%. And one of my favorite companies was a company, CSO Insight, with Jim Dickey, who did a great sales effectiveness study. And they prove this every single year. So when I hear people say, well, it's all about the numbers. No, it's not. It's about the people who produce numbers. So before I get into the five components of a really strong sales coaching system, the first thing that we have to realize is something that we teach in progress coaching. And I'm going to teach it at its most fundamental level. It is the secret sauce. It is the absolute insight to making coaching easy. And that is something that we call the tiers of learning. The first tier is knowledge. The second tier is skill. The third tier is behavior or confidence. So let's take a competitor price objection. Now, I'm going to split hairs, yet if you're really interested in understanding this concept, 
put down what you're doing, get a piece of paper, and literally write this down because it will give you exactly what I think you will need if you're interested in becoming a great sales coach or implementing successful sales coaching. When you ask a salesperson a question of how they handle things, they typically gravitate to narration. Well, in that situation, here's what I would do. Change up your question. So let me give you an example. Bob, when you get a competitor price objection, in that moment, what do you say? It seems simple. What he's going to want to do is narrate and say, well, in that situation, what I typically do is, no, I'm asking you exactly what do you say? What is your well-thought-out professional response? Now, let's be candid. Salespeople have a great gift that also gets them in trouble. We shoot from the hip pretty well. We think on our feet pretty well. Now, it's a gross generalization. Not everybody does. So when you're in that moment and you ask that question, you're going to ascertain, do they have the knowledge? If you do not have the knowledge of how to handle a component in a sales interaction, negotiation, closing, price objection, needs-based selling, relationship building, whatever that is, if they don't know how to do something, I guarantee you they haven't practiced it. Now, let's go to the second tier, skill. Practice. How often in sales training, when we say we're going to role play, the dreaded R word, do people get excited? No, they typically roll their eyes. Oh, geez, I hate role playing. People who don't practice, practice on clients. People who don't practice are not thoughtfully and professionally invested in their careers. You cannot arbitrarily get better at something. So going back to our fictitious sales rep, Bob, he's not going to handle a competitor price objection consistently, thoughtfully, and professionally if he doesn't know what to do or what to say. And guess what's going to happen with confidence? If I don't know what to do and I don't have the skills, I'm typically not going to have a lot of confidence. So start with knowledge. Do they know what to do? Skill. Can they do it? Can they simulate it? Third, can they do it with confidence and conviction? So let me practice what I preach. So when somebody says to me, Tim, we can get your coaching services a little less expensive from a competitor. I look at them and say, oh, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing. Pushing that aside. Pushing price aside, what are the value drivers going into your decision-making? How are you going to make your decision? And have I met those requirements? One of two things are going to happen. One, they're going to say, yes, you've met them. I typically respond with, well, that's typically why we don't lower our price. And I let silence do its work. And I've practiced it. I'm very comfortable in that moment. Now, if they say, well, yeah, we're still a little bit uncertain of a couple things that you've been proposing, guess what? Price has no value. Because why would they go ahead and buy something they don't understand? So instead of dealing or negotiating price, they go right back and say, well, we need to revisit those items before we talk about price. That's something called pushing the objection. Now, we do not do sales training at Progress Coaching. What I'm sharing with you, at least for me, 
That's what I do from a knowledge standpoint. The second thing I do, if I'm in front of a VP or a C-level person and they ask me to lower my price and they're really happy with what we propose, I never answer with a number. I always say, well, what did you have in mind? Or I might say, so what did you have in mind that's really fair to both of us? If somebody says 5%, I might say, sure, go ahead. Could I change the payment terms? I never give people what they want without getting something in return. Because if I don't get something in return, it shows that the price I was initially giving them may have been viewed later on as unfair. Or I might say, well, I'd be happy to lower the price 5%. Would you be willing to supplement that with five referrals to people at your level in other companies within the first 90 days of the contract? So I'll exchange a discount for five referrals because that I can quantify. Now, I'm not saying that's how you should handle it. What I'm saying to you is knowledge. If they don't know how to handle a price objection, if they don't know how to handle a competitor objection, if they don't know how to negotiate, and please don't underestimate the following, if they don't know how to use open-ended questions fluently and thoughtfully and consistently, and please don't underestimate that, most reps have the knowledge. Very few continually ask open-ended questions. So it brings us to our five components. First, We have something called sales performance coaching. Think about your sales process, the steps, the interaction, your approach. Define in that process, what are the performance requirements? How do you define the performance requirements? The tiers of learning, knowledge, skill, and behavior. Second, sales call coaching. I cringe when people say, well, we do ride-alongs. And I say, oh, that's awesome. You know, how do you structure those? Well, we pair them up with a veteran salesperson. I cringe. Here's why. If we don't teach people how to do proper sales call coaching and do it consistently throughout the organization, we're going to have inconsistent results. First of all, when you pair people up, whether it's with a peer or a manager, People without proper training, without the proper knowledge, without the proper skills, guess what they're going to do? That was pretty good, but here's what I would do if I were you, or here's the way I handled it. People will gravitate to the way they handle it. Sharing with good intention, yet ultimately discounting the person they're coaching. Number two, they also will focus on constructive feedback. Use a three-to-one ratio. Bob, here are the three things I thought you did really well during the call. And I think where you have an awesome opportunity to improve is in the area of negotiation. You know, hearing that, you know, what goes through your mind? You're starting a conversation. So the first area is sales performance coaching. The second is sales call coaching. The third area is sales peer coaching. Train sales rep to coach each other. Teach them the proper way to provide feedback. Teach them to use the word and instead of but. Teach them to leverage strengths versus always focusing on what they're doing wrong. And if they are doing something wrong or something that needs to be corrected or fixed, use the word opportunity. The fourth area is a very unique area, and it's simple. If you do not have a sales practice coaching program in place, you are missing the opportunity of a lifetime and most sales organizations don't. You do not practice 
internally, you are ultimately practicing on your clients or prospects. You do not arbitrarily improve in something you do not practice. If you were a former athlete or somebody from the theater, look back at your career, whether high school or college, and ask yourself, would I have been good, that good without practice? Of course not. Somewhere along the line, we've decided we're going to hire good salespeople. Every salesperson needs to practice. Here's the funny thing about peer-to-peer coaching. You get someone who's really performing consistently at optimal levels. You know what they do as a coach? They protect their strengths. That's the value of coaching even with our high performers. Last, I'm going to share something with you, a tactic and a strategy that's different, very different, called sales journal coaching. The reason I love journaling, especially in this day and age, is a couple things. Sales reps, like every industry, have really been hit. Most of us would prefer to be in front of customers, and now we got to sell virtually. Here's the challenge that we have. Stress, anxiety, part of the way we do things have been taken away from us. So when you think about those things, just think about those just for a second and think about the ego and what people really like to do. That's tough. When you journal, there's a great book called The Progress Principle. They report, we lower stress by as much as 23% when we journal. Now, most salespeople do not journal. I'm not saying as a diary or a formal journal. What I'm suggesting is every month, have a lesson, have a case study, have a situation that you present and ask people what they would do. Get them thinking critically. And here are the three questions we encourage everybody to use within any type of journal-based coaching activity. One, what did you learn? Two, What did you learn about yourself you're committed to improving? I'll say it again. What did you learn about yourself that you're committed to improving? That's a self-awareness question. Here comes number three, the big question. What specific actions do you feel you need to take going forward to facilitate that improvement? And what that is, It's an element of positive change because they're now driving it. We've done this with sales teams. And at first, there's some resistance by some, not by all. But over time, by giving sales teams time to reflect and think and write and answer questions. Here's the coolest thing about journal-based coaching. It gets people thinking because you know what they're answering? Coaching questions. It becomes a great partner to the coaching process. So, the five areas are sales performance coaching, sales call coaching, peer-to-peer sales coaching, sales practice coaching, and sales journal coaching. I hope this has helped. Thank you for listening to another episode of Coaching Conversations by Tim Hagen and Progress Coaching. Now, our company is always coming out with new and innovative solutions to help leaders coach their employees. And recently, we just created a new service called Coach2U, where leaders can pick and choose topics and assign 
seven to 21 day programs for employees to learn and more importantly, apply actions and then reflect and share what they're going to do going forward as a result of the learning. It's called Coach to You. We're literally bringing coaching to your employees. If you're intrigued, we'll have a link in each one of our episodes where you can get more information. And again, thank you so much for listening to another episode.